Hey, Matt here. Michael and I decided to release our discussion of the explicit sexual language Driscoll used in the pulpit. We think there might be some things that are helpful. However, we want to reaffirm our warning that this, because we have to use explicit language for certain actions, is not one you'll want to play for your kids. And if for some reason you don't think that would be edifying for you, or you might be especially sensitive to these topics, I just recommend you skip this one, and we'll see you next week. That being said, this is Restless. Here we go. Pastor Michael, are you ready for... So I'm wondering, maybe the best way to do this would be to, like, we could listen to it just so that we're, like... Because I don't know that I feel it yeah. like as like uh-huh. like fresh with it. Right. I it might either. be best for us to not. I almost feel better if we don't play Driscoll talking about it, mm. and we just say if you listen to. I mean, everybody that is like sure. following along, they're listening to this episode, so they've listened to it. We don't have to replay it and give it airtime. Sure. But we could just say we're talking about the clip where sure. Driscoll tells a woman to give oral sex to her husband because Jesus said so. And I, it's like it sounds like I'm making that up. <laughs> It's. I know. <laughs> I know it does, but we're about to play that clip. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good idea. That for that, I maybe think that's that... what we should do. I I just and I don't know how. I just don't think I feel comfortable like playing it again, even though it's it's out there. It's not like you right. know. Oh man, that is rough. It is rough. So that clip, in case in case we end up not including any of these, is where Driscoll, in a Bible study, explains to a woman that, who's husband whose whose spouse is not a believer that because he desires oral sex she should perform oral sex on him and driscoll uses this as a uh, in jesus name that she was convicted of sin and that this man then comes to the church Dr- driscoll tells this story in a joking manner and is is quite joyful to do it so and it's at like a Christian conference. It's right? at a it's, Christian conference. It's like yeah. a conference. It's somewhere else. It's not even like as though it's like some kind of like smaller group setting where he feels more comfortable. I mean, he's telling this to people he doesn't know. Right. As if it's like this literally doesn't matter. This is a fine thing to say. In fact, it's funny. Yeah. Wow. Um, so this is where we would say there is so much to criticize that it like you can do uh this is why you can do a christianity today podcast about the problems in the rise and fall of mars hill why uh you know you can bring people on and even you know seemingly condemn that which is you know we would say is not the culprit of these things something like a complementarian theology and yet make that seem true because you pair it with stuff like this where we would say yeah this is unbelievably bad i had never heard this before right in this podcast right i had neither obviously um driscoll is known to talk about specific sex acts from from the pulpit uh, if you know anything about his series through uh song of Solomon, he does discuss uh, oral sex there as an appropriate uh part of christian marriage as well so so Pastor Michael, I don't even I don't even really know where to start with exactly like how to say what's wrong here. So one of the things we could 
<clears throat> say is that uh, the the rise and fall of Mars Hill brings up this idea of like kind of like the uh, pornification of marriage, basically. Mm. Um, so it's like taking pornography or or like the ideals of pornography and saying, well, they're not okay, except if you're married, then there's like this, like, uh, okay element to them. And I think that that comes across even in the way that Driscoll often talked, the way he talked about sex, the way he understood sex. Um, so, uh, I have read, uh, his marriage book. I can't even remember what a real marriage. marriage. And there's this infamous section on sex, where basically he says, if the Bible doesn't outright say you cannot do this, then it is perfectly acceptable. Um, that right there is in itself just an extremely like cheap understanding of like what sex is, the role that it plays, um, what it means, uh, you know, what it's for, um, what our bodies are for, what our sexual organs are for, um, like an, uh, a much more like mature understanding would not just say, okay, well, the Bible either like outright condemns it or it's totally fine. Uh, but there's also elements of like God has created us for particular things. There is a telos in our bodies themselves that tell us what they are for, right? Where they fit. Like the, there is a, uh, like there, it is just a cheap way to do it. Um, so like, I believe even in that book, you know, he, he speaks of it being okay to, uh, you know, uh, sodomize someone or things like that. If it's right. consensual and in marriage, right. And it's just such a far, uh, it's so far from scripture itself and, and the way that the Bible uh, treats these things. Also, um, so like maybe one of the things we could say is that like, this is, this is just like uh, picture perfect how uh, sex was in a lot of ways kind of commodified and used for like, you know, building up Driscoll's image right? Building up his popularity. Sex does sell. It does indeed sell. It works to do that. Um, and in doing so, he did not actually redeem sex, which I think was probably what he would say he was mm -hmm. doing by bringing these things inside of marriage. I'm like, he would probably say, I'm getting away from the, like, you know, the pornified culture. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I'm like, I'm trying to stay away from the, like, cold, dead marriages where there is no like actual sex life and things like that. And so we're bringing those two things together where you can have this, like, you know, uh, all the sex of your dreams basically, but it's within marriage. And so it's better. Yes. Uh, but in doing so, he, he never actually, I think, uh, understands biblically, like what exactly sex is for. And it come, it, it, it is a, pornographied, pornographied, a pornified view of what sex is, which it's just like this purely carnal, pleasurable thing. And that's what it is. Um, so that, I think that's one thing we could say. I, well, maybe I'll stop. I have one more thing that I'm thinking of, but what, Let, you know, thoughts yeah. on that? No, let's, let's play the one other clip about where Driscoll is discussing uh, sex and marriage. And then I'll share, I have, I obviously have a number of thoughts on this and I'll, 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 I'll share them. So Again, this is this is again Driscoll recommending uh, women to strip for their husbands because they are uh, visual. We should say it's more than recommending, right? Oh yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's right. bringing the full force, basically saying what I just heard, right? Is yep. that uh, this is something that, according to the Word of God, 
men deserve. And implicitly, if you are not doing this for your husband, that makes sense why he would go to a strip club. That right. is what I heard. Yeah, that that's what's that's that's the real shocking part here. And I think here here is what is quite obviously wrong with this. That is going so far beyond scripture. That is going so far beyond the like uh do not withhold from with each from with from each, each other, other, right? Which which uh, is, a wife's body does not belong to her, it belongs to her husband. That yeah. is true. The Bible says that. Also, a husband's body does not belong to him. It belongs to his wife. And this is a wild, this is, I mean, it's, it is obviously insane. Oh, also let me give a shout out to everyone who does, who interprets song of Solomon allegorically as Yahweh and his people or the bride of uh, the bride and the people of God as the, the bride and the bridegroom as the coming Messiah. As I do, we don't get into, we don't have these problems like, uh, uh, that I, I actually think that there is a that this is kind of turning over there. But what what is um, so it's just so shocking. And here's here's just let me give you one example of how this is quite obviously destructive. All right, um, you hold Driscoll up as I did as a model of Christian marriage of masculinity. What will this? These kinds of discussions of oral sex, anal sex, um, stripping, what will that do to your marriage? That will destroy any probably normal marriage. Because everyone, I, I, I don't know how to even talk about this, but this, this is like it's pushing the bounds so far of like what is expected in a Christian sex life, which is an why again, we can ask why does Song of Solomon use even that kind of language because it is so intentionally personal and and individual this again it goes to the like the cheapening of it and like the the vulgarizing of it yes and as much as i know they have these you know uh different people that have written these books about the you know kind of uh the way that you know mark driscoll or others and kind of you know masculinity in general does this to women and they have these kinds of people on but i remember for a fact that we had guys like uh, John MacArthur saying this, yes. like saying like this, this is a vulgarizing yes. of scripture. And, and to whatever degree this, this, these kinds of discussions made the Mars Hill vision for women stay at home porn stars. That is condemnable, right? Like, we absolutely. can, we yeah, condemn like, it that though, that those are the two things that really like set apart godly femininity. I can join with whoever, whoever wants to join me. And condemn and say, that. That is wrong. Right. And and again, when you're talking about the pornification, that is really what I think it is. Because what is the assumption? I think the underlying assumption of porn, we actually can bring to it's I don't even know what I would call this, but I think we can bring this to almost anything. It's this, it's this excessive, I don't know, decadence that we bring to anything. It's that the it's this idea that I need to find a way to ring every drop of pleasure I can out of this. And that's what this is here for, right? So we people, Americans do this with food. The the way we yeah. treat food at this point is this way. We probably do this with sports. You can do this, again, we do this with our own children, right? The, the We can do this with anything. 
but we quite obviously do this with sex. Yeah, we really do. Um, I mean, this is gluttony, right? So gluttony is not uh, yeah, just that's a what sin. It is. This um, is gluttony. It is. It, it's not just a sin when it comes to food. That's how we think about it. But I mean, this is gluttony on every level, like in every way. Like this is this is a serious uh, a serious problem. And uh, notice how what what is being done, evidently from the pulpit, is not actually going after the heart root issue of why that is Mm -hmm. it's not it's not saying hey why do you have this inordinate desire right this this uh like this maybe at times natural desire such as for sex right you have you have a a a sexual desire okay that might be natural um but it is like way overblown right It, it is uncontrollable in you um why don't we like deal with that which the scripture does deal with right and instead it's well, here's how we fix that um, by like, you know, making somebody else to fill that void, right? To, to like uh, fit that. And the problem is, so this is what scripture does, right? So uh, not, not that, <laughs> that right. I, I said that wrong. Um, so one of the things that scripture does do uh, is that the apostle Paul does tell people that marriage is a place that you uh, find uh, an outlet for sexual desire that is godly and good. And if you burn with passion, you should get married right. and you should not withhold your body from your spouse. It does say that. Um, it, the, the problem with what uh, you have with Driscoll is that it, it's, when Paul says that, he is not saying, uh, and this is going to like fix everything, right? It, right. He's, he's not saying um, this is the end all and it will fill that never ending void. Right. The, the assumption is that this will be a help, but uh, that like having a spouse, right. And having uh, the ability to, in a God glorifying way, um, have uh, uh, fruitful and enjoyable sex. Like that is a good that God has given. It is part of being human, but also, um, that that inordinate desire is not going to be solved by that. Right. That has to be solved by the gospel itself, which is what marriage and sexual intimacy ultimately points to. Right. This is what marriage points to. And, it's what it's about. And and this is and Paul even in the section of Corinthians, which which we're which we're talking about here, Paul is discussing people who are saying, "I'm going to forego marriage." They are. I'm going to uh, sexual because it's physical is something bad. So Paul isn't saying that no matter what your desire is, that this is, right? You can fulfill it here. Right. Not and at all. This is a, a problem in even, I think, probably how we apply that advice, that if you burn, you need to get married. There, there is truth to that because it's scripture. It's not talking about marriage will solve your pornography yeah, addiction. Right. Marriage is going to take away your lust. That is not what it says. No, because that is a, a fundamentally spiritual act of God through the, the effectual application of Christ's redemption to you. Right. And, and what, but what Paul is saying is that you do have a natural desire for these things, which if God has given to you, if you are not celibate, if you've not been given a spiritual gift of celibacy, you should get married. There is no advantage to either if you're married foregoing sex for some spiritual reason, or if you're unmarried to just stay unmarried. That's, that's what he's saying. And, and so I do think this is why we're on the tightrope. This is why we're on the tightrope. This is the tightrope tightrope. So 
Let's see if I can put Pastor Michael on a tightrope before we leave this bonus area. So, Pastor Michael, I will suggest to you, this kind of discussion was very popular with the young people. Oh, yeah. Now, right. now what you mean, like talking in really like pornified yes. ways? Yes. Yeah, did that appeal to young men? And yes. I think even women to a point. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, here's why. Now, and, and let me give you the positive spin. I should just say, like, I remember listening through the peasant princess. princess. Is that what it was? Oh, yeah. I remember listening through that series thinking it was great. Oh, yeah. I remember listening through that with like mixed company, men and yeah. women. And it was just like, oh, yeah, of course. And not, now not, I like, I'm like, why was I not like embarrassed right? to listen to these things the, and talk about these or, things? Or that if you were company. at a church that when, as we learned, when they rolled out real marriage, they told children they couldn't come to certain services. The fact that that churches should be embarrassed. If your church did that, I, we, uh, I'm not condemning your church, but anyone who did that should be embarrassed, including as Pastor Michael just did. Us, we listened yeah. to this. Yeah. So here's my question. I think one of the reasons this is, um, was so popular was because Driscoll was willing to tackle all of these questions in a way. Now, Driscoll giving the talk from his pulpit in these kinds of ways, obviously absurd. I mean, what do you, what do you do when there is, when we're at this level, you're a pastor, we're at this level of confusion of right there. There are, there are legitimately people wondering these kinds of questions about oral sex in marriage. This is, so this is where um, the, this is where the defense comes in of a guy like Driscoll. And uh, like, I almost hate doing that after listening to these things. Right. Right. So, so I, I don't want to say like, yep, I'm team Driscoll. Right. Um, but in a, like in an unbelievably sexually degenerate culture, like we're in, I mean, things right. are an absolute mess. And even in like the best of families, the best of kids, the best of churches, like there is, uh, you know, like uh, pornography is not, it's not just like accessible. It's literally just everywhere. Right. Um, the, the kind of, uh, the gluttony that we've talked about that comes out in all different areas. It's not just like there, it is encouraged. It's just like, yeah, this is good. And whatever you desire, you need that void filled, fill it, like just fill it with whatever and whatever it costs, whatever it takes. Um, like that is the culture that we are in. And so to have a pastor that's willing to discuss these things, frankly, clearly to give like very like definite answers, even on some of these things, I think that is where you would say there, there is some need for that to give definitely wrong answers is not good, right? right. To like to, right. to give unbiblical answers in a definite fashion or to do like he did with this, this woman um, who was asking about oral sex and he quite literally commanded her in Jesus name to perform oral sex on her husband, even though she was up to this point, at least unwilling to do that. Right. Like that is, that is a unbelievably abusive of power, right? That is, that is just so like gross of somebody to do, especially, and then like to talk about it, by the way, I think it's very possible. This never happened. I think this oh. might be a stage thing. Oh, um, Even just the way it comes together at the end, the way that he brings the story, it sounds to me like, I mean, he, if it did happen, he's drastically changed it to make it fit a joke. I mean, he's telling a joke is what he's right. Saying. I mean, that this and this is why after we finish recording, we're going to decide if we release the clip at all, because he is this is 
as you and I react horrified, I, I, I think the hard part is understanding he was telling a joke. Now, but um, it was something that he says happened. Yes, he's saying <laughs> that it happened, right? He's doing like you've you've watched stand-up comedy, right? Yep. I was a dude, you know, and they tell a, a just a story from last week, even, even though it's probably 10 years line, ago. Which yeah. causes you to laugh. Yeah, and and that's what he was doing. I I totally would not be shocked if this never happened. Yep. That I mean, that's just how it appears, right? It's how it comes across. It is fake, it's staged. Whether it happened in part or not, I don't know. Right. Is it very possible that it happened based on like everything else that we've heard and seen? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah, it definitely. makes sense. We're, we're not saying, oh, no, he probably, if you're willing to just, again, the idea that like, even if we're saying, oh, these guys, they're trying to defend him, that he never would have done this to a woman. The idea that you would be willing to lie to a group of people that you did that is just as insane. It's, it's also bad. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so here's the question, because this, this is quite honestly... And we can, I'll, I can even sketch out an idea I have, because this is quite honestly the issue is obviously this kind of stuff coming from the pulpit is insane, is unhelpful on any level, right? Like there's never probably a point in your sermon where it goes, you know, I know we got a lot of young people out here wondering about sodomy. So let me quick, like, like this is, there's never a, there's never a time to do that. What I'm asking is, does the pastor have any duty beyond because because here's what i imagine the i don't want to call it a cop-out but what a pastor trying to be very um very caring not um not uh entering into a situation he shouldn't is giving people a book through which they would discuss these things yeah right? so this is actually so i mean and you know like we talked about one of the reasons this was attractive is because there weren't many people willing to do it right and especially like growing up as young men and hearing this guy we had all seen porn, right. right? We had all looked at it. We, we all knew what it was. It wasn't like hidden from us, uh, but that was not something like the, the way that these things were addressed in the culture. Like they, it was never being talked about in the churches that we grew up in. It just wasn't right. um, at least not in like a way that we understood it. Uh, and, you know, maybe that was our problem and our immaturity, but it just, it was not being communicated to us. And so to have somebody that was willing to like give answers and to give like, you know, resources, whether or not we say now that those were, those were good, right? Um, like there was something. That's that's one of that was one of the draws. I do think that there is a role for discipleship in these things. Mm. Um, ideally, uh, you know, this kind of discipleship is something that happened because this is so intimate, right? Because uh, because when we're dealing with uh, something like sex, there's there's a general way in which we can talk about these things. You think about like the way that scripture. Um, speaks of sex, the way that it speaks, uh, you know, the way that Song of Solomon is written. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are ways to speak about these things fine. And even at times scripture is very blunt with its language, right? So scripture right. says things that would make us all blush, right? You know, like, I mean, uh, if you go and you just read Ezekiel 16, there is harsh language and strong language and strong sexual language um, that is used. And so there are times that has to come out in the pulpit. It right. has to be explained. It has to be talked about to a point. But that can still be done in a way that's like decently and, and in order. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the you know uh, most important roles, I think, in these days for a pastor would be doing things like premarital counseling, helping people prepare for marriage. And in premarital counseling, when you are one-on-one -on -one with a couple or one-on-two, uh, like you can be much more right. blunt. You can, you can use much more straightforward language. Um, there, it's just, it, there are times that you can use words 
in a more intimate setting where it is not vulgar, but if you were to use the same words in a public setting, it would be vulgar. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like th- this is just, this is one of those lines that because we're a culture that has broken down every boundary, including boundaries of language and boundaries of decency and boundaries of like, you know, just any kind of good order. We don't know those things, uh, but there are, like, we all know them uh, implicitly because there are things somebody could say to us when it's just like an intimate conversation between two people that we wouldn't necessarily get really embarrassed by. But if they said it in a big group of people or at a family reunion, we would get very embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Um, That's because this is the, this is what uh, it, because it is an intimate thing that you're speaking of it. It needs to be treated as such. Mm -hmm. It needs to be like thought that way, um, thought of that way. And so, um, you know, this goes back to this idea of kind of pornifying all of this, right? Like taking that, which is most intimate, um, most, uh, most, uh, meant to be uh, between just two privately together and then to just project that like porn does in just the like, you know, the most vulgar of possible ways to anybody and everybody. That's what's being done. I mean, yeah. that, that is what's being done. And, yeah. and that is part of the problem. And I'm glad you said that because my big, my big concern when you listen to this as, as, as evangelicalism listens to this is that the lesson we take away is, well, I guess pastors can never enter into these kinds of things. And, and then what we do is, but, but most pastors, pastors care that like, if a young man or young woman asks them questions in this realm, like the idea that, okay, let me give you a book, right? One of the more popular books on these things. Now, again, even those books are going to be unhelpful, but right. The idea that, again, what we're doing at that point is we're saying that apparently, right? Like, there are things potentially as a pastor, you could say, I have no, I just have no kind of business here. Then you don't really give a book, right? You don't give resources at that point. But if we can give resources, which I think most pastors would, but are going to refuse to talk about, I think we're going towards another unhealthy place. But, but again, I do think privately, I think right in premarital counseling, yes, this is the time to ask, what are both of your expectations in this in also this these things they don't have to be coercive it doesn't have right. to be here's my command in the no. name of jesus to do this because, or that and it, and it, it in fact cannot be it's sh- yeah, because it, all of this has to fall under christian liberty that's right all of this now obviously even within marriage there are there are there are going to be certain boundaries but this is all you, you right you don't know right. that should maybe said that like just because you got married doesn't mean that there aren't like uh, sexually sinful things you can do. Right. Right. It is still wicked and wrong to be coercive. Right. Right. Sodomy is still a problem. It's right. not just because you're married. It doesn't, it's not like this magical thing that just makes like disordered and wicked things just good all of a right. sudden. These things are still wrong. Yeah. And so I, again, I think that there are a place to say this, right. That there is, especially to men, right. Even what we've already talked about with saying things like that, uh, sex it does not was not designed by God to fill up whatever degree of desire you may have, right? That this is this is something of pure mutuality of love. The and, Bible does not command self control until you get married or right, something like that, right? And 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 oh, the real uncomfortable one, friends. God gave this also to produce children, which which if there was a thing that actually young men and women needed to hear about sex that might be appropriate that you could actually say publicly 
and you'd probably get all, all the same flack, is that this is not all, not all. Listen, look, listen to me. Listen to me nuance this. Not all. A large part of this is about having children. And do you know what I never heard? I never got from the new Calvinist or Driscoll? That lesson. And I learned that lesson after not having children for a while and believing I was wrong to have put it off the way I did. I needed that. I needed that. And, and we don't get that here. And we don't get, we didn't get that in general. Ah, and this might be really unpopular, but that's why this was all in the bonus. So Pastor Michael, we have, you can breathe a sigh of relief. We're coming back to, to finish out our episode. All right, we just finished all our recording for the day. Hey, if you listen to this bonus, uh, we we hope it was helpful. It was uncomfortable to talk, right? It was difficult, but uh, it, it does seem like the kind of thing that probably needed to be done in some regard. And it makes me, I guess, I guess uh, my 19-year-old self would be very disappointed. No, I'm very much not Bristol-like because I was uncomfortable and not wanting to do this a hundred percent of the time and and would never have cut it as a as a driscoll uh look-alike clone <laughs>